note was my favorite part. Amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Amen. Thank you, gentlemen. Take your Bibles and turn to Romans in chapter number 8 tonight. Romans in chapter number 8. Romans in chapter number 8. And I have three verses I want you to uh, look at with me tonight. Romans chapter number 8. Now we'll travel to them together. As we go into the message here, we begin in Romans in chapter number 8. And I guess maybe a favorite verse for some folks, a lot of folks probably. Ah, this is one of my favorites. How many times have I run to Romans chapter 8 and think about how my God works. Let's stand together out of respect for the Word of God and read our text together in Romans Chapter 8 and verse number 28. Romans 8 and verse number 28. And let's read together aloud, please. Ready? And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. To them who are the called according to his purpose. And we know. Now we don't know everything, but some things we do know. And one thing we do know is that all things work together for good. To them that love God. To them who are the called according to his purpose. I want to speak to you on the subject tonight. He can work it out. He can work it out. Heavenly Father, we love you and we need you tonight. I pray for the power of the Holy Spirit. Help me to communicate the thoughts that you've laid on my heart. Empower me to share thy word and empower the listeners to, to listen, to receive, and apply thy word to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. I mentioned this this morning, that today is uh, Abigail uh, Leanne Shook, it's her 27th birthday in heaven, and she was born today, 27 years ago, and so she's having a birthday celebration, I suppose, uh, up in heaven, and um, you know... <clears throat> When um, we were, we were uh, home from church a few hours ago, and I was trying to remember the timing of the day, uh, somewhere at the beginning of the day, uh, around morning time, she was born, as best I could remember. And then about six hours after she was born, Dr. Robert Robbins, some of you, uh, Dr. Robert Robbins attends to you and your family, and a good name here in Ashboro. But he was listening to her heart. And he found a heart murmur. And, uh, and he expressed his concern. And he said, uh, I, I hear a heart murmur. And I think that it needs to be investigated more closely. And I recommend that we uh, take her to Brenner's Children's Hospital in Winston-Salem. And have some more testing done. And that's what happened. And so her first night 
Mama had had surgery to deliver her, and so she was here, and her baby girl was at another hospital. And they tested her, and they said that she had uh, some heart defects, and that uh, they were not necessarily life-threatening, but they would have to be corrected. Likely when she was around 9 or 10 years old, she would have to have heart surgery to correct those defects. So we began taking her on a regular basis to the doctor for checkups and testing and so forth. And one of those, uh, one of those uh, visits to the doctor, not too long after she was born, not the first one, or I'm not sure, second or third one, I suppose, the doctor said, you know, uh, after looking at her tests and retesting and so forth, I, it looks like she's going to have to have that surgery sooner than we expected. And we think probably when she's about four or five years old, she's going to have to have uh, open heart surgery. And so we thought, wow, okay. And then another doctor visit came. And on that visit, the word came that we need to change our prognosis again and we think that she needs surgery very soon. And so she was scheduled and within just a very short time to have open heart surgery to correct three different birth defects. And the surgery had... Uh, they said a 95% success rate, which was obviously very encouraging. And uh, they set aside so many hours for the surgery. And on that day, my family was there. And uh, we were there waiting in the waiting room at Baptist Hospital. And the surgery began. And we, we uh, prayed over her, of course. And she was taken into surgery. And the hours kept ticking by. And the projected time for the surgery, the hours passed that and continued to pass. And uh, we waited there in the waiting room by that phone to get updates from the operating room. And finally, after an all-day surgery, which was not what we were expecting, we finally got a call. And on the phone, I asked the surgeon, I said, now be honest, he explained to me about the surgery and how that they had repaired the heart and uh, how that uh, the heart should be beating on its own, but for whatever reason, just from the trauma of the surgery, uh, her heart didn't want to beat on its own, but they were hopeful that eventually it would start beating on its own. And I asked him, I said, would you just be honest? Would you tell us what chance do you think she has to survive this? And he said, I would give her a 50-50 chance. He said, I don't know, but I would give her a 50-50 chance. That was hard. That was difficult to hear. We got together. We wept a little then, and we prayed together then. And they had told us, they said, now when you see her, and those of you who have family members who have had open heart surgery, you know what I'm getting ready to describe to be true. But they said, you need to be prepared. When you see her, she will not look like herself. She'll be extremely swollen. And, of course, she had tubes uh, to breathe, tubes to feed her. She had 
Uh, all, lots of wires coming out of her. She was on an ECMO circuit, the same machine that saved Brother Kilby's life, that took the blood out of her body, oxygenated it, put it back in. And we went in, and sure enough, she, she was so swollen, her eyes were shut because of the swelling. And, uh, but you know, when we walked in that room, the, God gave us a, just a beautiful peace, a sweet peace. I guess like I'd never experienced before. And you know, we didn't shed any tears at that moment. Now, we shed buckets of tears. But at that particular moment, you know, God's timing is just perfect, isn't it? Amen. His grace is present tense, sufficient. It's just what you need, just when you need it. Amen. And that began a roller coaster for a little over three weeks, somewhere about three weeks. Roller coaster. She'd get look better one day. Her stats would come up. It looked like her heart was going to be all right. And then down the next and up the next. And over that three-week period, uh, we finally came to the realization that she could not stay uh, on that machine forever. She was uh, uh, she couldn't go anywhere. The blood had to be taken out, run through a machine to put oxygen in it, put back in her body, and. The doctor said, our best chance is now to try to get her heart to beat on its own. And they set a time, and it was a Saturday morning on uh, April the 26th, 1997. And that morning, some of the men, some of my preacher friends came. I called them, and I said, would you come and pray with me? And we met at 5 o'clock in the morning in a little empty room in the pediatric intensive care there at Baptist Hospital and those men prayed with me for an hour. And we begged God to save her life. We wanted her to live. I closed that prayer meeting and I said, Now, Lord, I want her to live. But if you have a different plan, I believe your will is best. And it was God's will that day, about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, to take her to heaven. As for God... His way is perfect. He knows what he's doing. I had read from the Psalms while we were sitting in Randolph Hospital. Abigail was back at Randolph at that time, back with her mom at Randolph Hospital. She had spent a, a day there at Baptist for the initial testing, and then they took her back. And I was reading in the Psalms, and I read that little scripture in the Psalms where it said, He healeth the broken in heart. And I felt a surge of hope and I felt like God was showing me that he was going to heal her heart. And I marked the date and the time, marked that verse in the column of my Bible. And I believe it's something the Lord gave me that day. But I didn't know how he was going to do it. Well, her heart is perfectly whole tonight as I speak to you. God kept his word. Not in the way that I would have chosen. But God worked it out. God worked it out. And can I tell you something? I don't know everything. But I know this. That all things work together for good. To them that love God. To them who are the called according to His purpose. I know that much. God worked it out. And can I say to you, number one, He can work it out. He can work it out. God has opened a lot of doors for us. My wife got to lead another mother to Christ there in the 
waiting area at Baptist Hospital. And we had an unbelieving uh, heart doctor, a lady, tremendous physician, but she was not a believer. And you know, nine children in those three weeks passed away in that intensive care unit. And each of them quietly taken out of the ward without really anyone knowing what had happened until we heard later from family. But when little Abigail died, we had put up scripture verses. And one time the wife had gotten the scripture and we put it on, had a cassette tape. I won't go into what a cassette tape is, but anyway. But it had the scripture on it. We put the earphones on her head and there was a, uh, a technician there uh, 24 hours around the clock assigned to her and uh, watching her st- stats and so forth or, of course, blood pressure and different things. And, uh, and uh, when she put the scripture on, on Abigail's ears and started playing the word of God, the man said, I don't know what you, she's listening to, but whatever it is, it sure is helping her, uh, her vital signs. Amen. God's word has power, doesn't it? But when she breathed the last time there, that war, it was amazing. That war came together. Physicians, doctors, nurses. And that little lady, she, she heaved and sobbed over that little baby girl. I was in New Zealand and we were knocking doors several years later. And I knocked on the door with a, might have been my nephew or my brother-in-law, I can't remember. But knocked on the door and the man came to the door and I invited him to the church there in Wanganui and he said, I don't want anything to do with God. And he began to tell me about a little baby that they had lost and how that if there's a good God, then why would God let something like that happen? And I was able to reach in my pocket and pull out a little picture. I said, can I tell you where your little baby is? The same place my little girl is. And I told him, I said, babies are innocent and they're in heaven. And I said, I'd love to tell you how I know they're going to heaven and how you can know you go to heaven and see your baby. He said, come on inside. And that day, four adults on the other side of the world received Christ as Savior. You know what? God was working things out. Amen. He was working things out. I had Matthew Leonard with me one evening. And I said, Matthew, let's go over here. Let's knock some doors over here. We turned down Wicker Level Road. And then we turned back on. There's a little side street. I said, I ain't been here yet. I said, let's turn down this street here. And we turned down that street. Then turned into a dirt road, a gravel road, and then it turned into dirt, and then it turned out turned into two tracks going through the woods, headed down toward Deep River, and then it turned into a goat path, and there was a house back there, and uh, and we got out, and when you go that deep in the woods, you're going to have somebody come out and meet you, and usually they're not carrying a Bible, <laughs> and. Uh, Anyway, Frankie Toombs came out and met us. And uh, his brother James was there. And uh, I, I got to meet Frankie. Frankie became a good friend. He's still a dear friend. We, we were on the phone this week together. And a dear friend still to me. 
And uh, after talking to Frankie and I have a little fellowship with him, I turned to his brother James. And James, I said, James, I said, uh, do you know where you're going to go when you die? Do you know if you're going to heaven? And James said, I had a four-month-old baby die. You explain that to me. I don't want anything to do with God. And I reached into my pocket and I got a little picture of Abigail. I said, let me tell you about where your little baby went and where my baby went. I said, James, don't you want to see that baby again? He said, I do. And James listened to the gospel. He bowed his head and he got born again. And God was still working it out. Old Frankie started coming, got on fire for souls. Started going in the jail, winning people to Christ. He was telling me this week about an uncle that had just about drunk himself to death, literally. Cursed and swore and talked about how he hated God, how stupid Christians were, and he was on, literally on his deathbed. And Frankie went in there and said, Uncle Leon, people have talked to you over and again. He had a preacher buddy called. He said, go over with me. I want to witness my Uncle Leon. And that, that preacher buddy just sat, got on his knees, just prayed there in the hospital room. He said, he said, Uncle Leon, this is stupid. Here you drunk yourself and you're, now you're going to die and go to hell. You got a miserable life. You're still relatively young and you're dying and then you're going to die and go to hell. That's just stupid, Uncle. Why don't you get saved? You know it's true. That you've been running. I mean, just let him have, just let him have it. And that, that preacher friend got off his knees said, Leon, wouldn't you like to say yes to Jesus? And Uncle Leon, who's, by the way, at the beginning of that conversation, Frankie told me, he said in an unnatural, guttural voice, was rejecting Christ, rejecting Christ, rejecting Christ. But after that season of prayer, that sweet godly man got up and said, wouldn't you like to receive Jesus? He knew how he'd been witnessed to over and again. And they witnessed to him again, wouldn't you like to be saved? And in a soft tone, he said, yes, I would. He, he prayed, received Christ. He, got, he goes, I'm saved. Amen? Amen. You know, God was still working it out. By the way, Frankie called me the other day. And he said, Pastor, I don't think I ever told you this. He said, you remember when you saw him at the hospital? I said, yeah. He was, go, he was coming in the emergency room. One day I was leaving out of the emergency room. He was coming in the emergency room. I said, Frank, well, he didn't look good at all. And I said, Frank, what's wrong with you? He said, man, I, something's happened to me. He said, I, my, my, my chest is about to cave in. I got pain all up and down my arm. He said, I'm in a cold sweat. He said, I got burning in my chest. I said, man, you need to get in there. I put my hand on him and said, God, please, whatever's going on with Frankie, I beg you, please, to heal him. He said, I don't know. I said, I don't think I told you this. He said, I got in the emergency room. I walked in the emergency room. He said, every bit of my pain went away. They said, why are you here? I told them why I was there. They took me back. They did all my heart tests, EKG, everything. And the doctor walked in and said, I don't really know why you come here. There ain't anything wrong with you, sir, going home. Yep. Amen. Yep. That's cheaper than heart surgery. Amen. <laughs> you know, God can work it out. I, I was so embarrassed. I was... Uh, um, engaged to be married and I was a month and a day away from getting married and I got fired from my job. How many of you realize that a 13 uh, foot 9 28 foot box truck cannot fit under a 13 foot 7 inch viaduct? Yeah. 
Do you know what happens when you try it? It's like a tin can. It's like pulling off the Chef Boardee, like that. And anyway, but, you know, uh, I didn't tell her right away. And I sure didn't tell her dad. Uh, <clears throat> Mr. Stallings, your soon-to-be son-in-law is uh, unemployed. <laughs> I'd like to marry your daughter. I don't know how I'm going to feed her, but I want to marry her. But do you know what happened? Uh, I lost my job a month and a day. And I had, uh, I had money already put back, of course, for our honeymoon. But I went, to, I went to selling candy like a teenager, like a kid, like a grade school kid. I literally sold candy bars on the street to make money. You talk about being humbled. I think evidently I need to be humbled. Here I was, 20-something, with a box of candy going around. You want a candy bar for a dollar? If that's not humbling, listen... Some of you cocky kids, I'm going to give you a box of candy. It'll revolutionize your life. Anyway, but that's what I did. I did what I had to do. And uh, I got me a, some hedge trimmers and a rake. And I started, got me a shovel. And I shoveled snow for a month. And trimmed hedges and raked leaves. And made enough money to keep things going. And I didn't have a job. And I was begging God for a job. I extended my honeymoon because I didn't have to be back to work. Amen. I got a longer honeymoon. Got right back from a... From the, uh, from the honeymoon, and I got a call, and God gave me a job, gave me a job making more money, working less hours, taking home more money. God can work it out. Amen. He can work it out. All things work together for good to them that love God, to them that, that are called according to His purpose. Would you look at that verse right there, my dear friend? There's two things that you and I are supposed to do. Number one, we're supposed to love God. We're supposed to love Him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now let me tell you something. I'm sure you got some things in your life and you're not sure how it's going to work out. You're not sure what's going to happen. You're don't, not sure what the future holds. The truth is you and I cannot control the future. But we know somebody who holds the future in His hands. And our job according to this verse is to love Him. And we know that all things work together for good. To them that love God. To them that love God. Do you love God tonight? Do you love God tonight? The Bible says if you love God, you're going to hate the world. If you're friendly with the world tonight, you're not much in love with God. To be a friend of the world is to be the enemy of God, the Bible said. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You got, you're going to either love God or you're going to love this old world down here. Now, if you want all things to work out, if you want God busy working it out for you, when you can't work it out, then number one, you love God. Number two, look what he said. To them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. What does it mean? It means you just be what God's called you to be. You be what God's called you to be. You say, what in the world is that? The Bible said that we, Revelation 4.11, we were created for His honor and for His glory. He said in 1 Corinthians 10.31, well, Therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Our purpose is to glorify God. Our purpose is to make God look good. Our purpose is to shine a spotlight on Him and let others see Jesus Christ in our lives. And we make the same mistake that Moses made when he smote the rock the second time and made the issue about himself, grieving his sister's loss. He was told 
to speak to the rock, but instead he lost his temper and struck the rock and he ruined, he spoiled a beautiful picture that God was painting. And my friend, listen, when we make our problems and our situation about us, we're not glorifying God, we're glorifying self. We're seeking pity. We go around with our bottom lip raking the ground. Listen, we have a, an open position on the custodial staff and we don't need a vacuum cleaner. We need your bottom lip. And you can walk around here with your lip hanging down, whining, crying, and life's not fair. People mistreat me. And you know what you'll do? You'll get you some pity and somebody will come on your back and pat you on the back and say, oh, bless his heart. He's been mistreated. But that won't bring glory to God. And you can bank on this, my friend. God won't be busy working it out. God works it out when we love Him and live according to His purpose. Meaning this situation, no matter how difficult, is going to, by God's grace, give glory to God. Now turn to Ephesians 3. We said, number one, He can work it out. Now Ephesians 3 at the end of the chapter. Look at verse 20. Ephesians 3 and verse 20. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse number 20. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Do you see that, my friend? Able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Hey, you, you can't think of something too big. More than we could ask. More than we could even think to ask. He is able to do not just more. Not just abundantly more. Exceeding abundantly more than we could ever ask or even think to ask. I said number one. He can work it out. I said number two. He can work it out better than we can imagine. He can work it out better than we can imagine. Peter was in jail, chained to two guards. And the church was praying over there in Acts in chapter number 12. The church was praying. They were having a prayer meeting saying, God, please get Peter out of jail. God, spare Peter. Oh, God, work in Peter's life and free Peter from that old prison. And the Bible says that the angel of the Lord came unto Peter in that jail cell. He said he, a light shined in the prison. He smote Peter on the side. He raised him up saying, Arise up quickly. Can you see that angel shining a light? Peter <laughs> shines a light right in his face, kicks him in the side, gets him. Come on, get up, Peter, wake up. Arise up quickly. Come on, hurry up. And the Bible said his chains fell off from his hands. And the angel said, gird thyself, tighten your belt, bind on thy sandals, put your shoes on. 
And so he did. And said unto him, Cast thy garment about thee. Throw your jacket around you and follow me. And Peter went out and followed him and wist not that it was true. Peter was in a dead sleep. Angel comes, shines a light in his face, kicks him. Get up, come on, hurry up, put your shoes on, get your jacket, tighten your belt. Let's go, Peter. Peter's. They come out of the prison, and the Bible tells us, it says, he, he didn't know what was, he didn't know if it was true. He goes, is this a dream? Man, this is so real, Peter's thinking. This is amazing. This is the most realistic dream I've ever had. It's like it's really happening. And they get to the gates, and they walk, they get to the first guards, and they walk right past them. And the guard's standing there, and the guard can't even see them. They get to the second set of guards, walk right past them. There's an iron gate. The iron gate swings open. The guard is standing there. He can't see any of this. And Peter said, this is just amazing. Boy, if this was true, what a great dream. And he walks past that guard and uh, walks out in the middle of the city. And he says, this is so realistic. All of a sudden, angel says, bye, and he's gone. And Peter's standing there. wonder when I'm going to wake up. He said, Man, this is so realistic. He said, ouch. And then it dawns on him. This just really happened. This just really happened. And man, he takes off and he said, I got to find God's people. And, and, and he, gets to the, he gets to the prayer meeting. All the people in there praying, oh God, let Peter live. Oh God, spare Peter. Oh God, get him out of jail. And he knocks on the door and all the people of God, they're praying, you know. And a little girl named Rhoda goes to the door. She answers the door. Peter's banging on the door. She said, it's Peter. It's Peter. And, uh, and, and Rhoda said, who's it? This Peter. She, oh, Peter, Peter. And she, got, she gets so excited. She doesn't open the door. She don't let him in. She just runs back to the pyramid. She said, folks, folks, Peter's at the door. They said, hush, Rhoda, be quiet. We're praying. And she's, but, but Peter's at, she's, be quiet. Peter's not at the door. That's why we're having a prayer meeting. We're praying that he'll get out of jail. Be quiet, little girl. And she's, I'm telling you, Peter's at the door. Shh, Rhoda, hush, you're disturbing the prayer meeting. We're praying for Peter to get out. She goes, He's at the door. And finally, somebody said, go check the door. Bless her heart. And they go to the door. And there's Peter. Amen. Can I tell you something, my friend? God can work it out better than you and I could ever imagine. That's what he did for Joseph when his brothers betrayed him and threw him in a pit and sold him into slavery. And he wound up in a prison in 13 years of his life. He had no human rights. And then God raised him out of a prison cell and put him next to the Pharaoh. God worked it out in fashion that you could never possibly imagine. He did it for Mordecai. Percy Ray's biography. He tells a story about a a lady. Her husband was a drunkard. And she just, she couldn't tolerate it. She couldn't tolerate it. She said, I can't take it anymore. And she told the preacher, she said, I'm going to take my own life. And you can't talk me out of it. I'm going to take my own life. He said, well, she said, I can't live with my husband. He's a drunk. I can't live with him anymore. He said, well, let me give you a suggestion. He said, if you, 
if you take your own life, if you do it in a hurry, and he, he, it'll be over and he probably won't bother him that much. He said, if I were you, he said, I would drag it out. I wouldn't do anything violent. He said, I would just starve myself to death. Just let him watch you waste away and die. She said, oh, that sounds good. That's what I'll do. He said, and since you, you won't be eaten, he said, now, what I would suggest, now, you go ahead and feed him. You go ahead and feed him, and he'll wonder why you're not eating. Because you're going to show him something. You're going to kill yourself and starve yourself to death. And he said, now, you go ahead and fix him a good meal. He said, but when you fix that meal, don't sit down at the table and eat it with him. Don't watch him eat it. He said, you go out to the barn, and you pray for him. Since you're not eating anyway, you might as well pray. She said, well, that, that makes sense. I'll do that. So she'd go like she always did, make a nice meal for a drunkard husband, put it on the table. Then she'd directly, she'd go out. He thought that strange, and he ate his meal. Then it happened the next day, and the next, and the next, and the next, and day after day after day. And this dear lady, I don't know when she figured it out, but she was fasting and praying. While she was out there, she was praying for God Almighty to get hold of her husband's heart. And one day he tiptoed out trying to figure out where she was and what she was doing. Instead of eating his meal, he followed her to the barn, stood by the barn door and listened to his wife pour her heart out to God to save her wicked husband. And God, the Holy Spirit, got a hold of his heart and he couldn't stand it anymore. God worked it out. He got born again. God can work it out. Now go to 2 Timothy 1 and we'll be done. I said, number one, he can work it out. Just love God and live for his glory. He can work it out better than we could even imagine. And then in 2 Timothy, in chapter number 1, verse number 12. 2 Timothy 1, verse number 12. Paul writes to Timothy, and he says in 1 Timothy, excuse me, 2 Timothy 1, 12. For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed Unto him against that day. I want to say lastly. Number one, he can work it out. Number two, he can work it out better than we can imagine. Number three, I don't know how. But I know whom will work it out. I don't know how God is going to answer your need. I don't know how God is going to work in your life. I don't know how it will work out for you. I don't even know that it will work out for the better from this standpoint in life. But I know this. I know there's a God who can work it out. I know whom I have believed. I know that He never fails. I know that He's God. I know that He's all-wise. I know that He's all-powerful. I know that He loves me with an everlasting love. 
And when I can't fix something, I can say, God, I love you. God, I trust you. God, I believe in you. And you are going to get glory in this situation. I'm not getting mad. I'm not getting even. I'm not getting uh, uh, bitter. You're going to get glory in my life. And I'm going to keep on plugging away. And if I don't know how it works out until I get to heaven, I'm just going to trust you. I know who you are. I know what you can do. And I'll give you the matter and trust you to work it out. I don't know how your situation's going to work out. But I know who can. I know who can. Do you love him tonight? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. That saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Through many dangers, toils and snares, I have already come. Tis grace that brought me safe thus far. And grace will lead me home. The God you trusted in the past can still be trusted tonight. Shall we stand? Father.